Hey, hashtag biz with the beard podcast fans. You may have noticed that the beard has gone pink. Well, there is a reason why we are going pink through the end of October. And that is because we are an ambassador for the Real Men Wear Pink 2020 campaign to help the American Cancer Society raise money to help fight breast cancer. So why do I wear pink? I think we all can agree that cancer sucks. Breast cancer especially sucks because it affects everyone. If you were like me, you probably know of someone who has had it, fought it, survived it, or unfortunately has lost their battle with this awful disease that affects millions of women. Recently, some very dear friend and family members were diagnosed with it. I have also had several friends die from cancer. And that is why I'm stepping up and asking you to step up as well to fight breast cancer with all that we got. So help me make a difference by supporting my Real Men Wear Pink campaign by hitting the listener support button on our podcast page at anchor.fm biz with the beard or go to my personal American Cancer Society Real Men Wear Pink campaign page at www.main.acsevents.org slash go to slash curfew c-u-r-p-h-y donate one dollar five dollars ten dollars one hundred dollars or even one thousand dollars and help me fight breast cancer every day the american cancer society is saving more lives for breast cancer than ever before they're helping people take steps to reduce their risk of breast cancer or find it early when it's easier to treat they provide free information and services when and where people need it the most they fund groundbreaking breast cancer research and they're working to ensure access to mammograms for women who need them so help me step up and wear pink with the beard now through october and donate to this needy cause thank you and have a successful day Executive production. Now, built up and shut up. It's going to be one bumpy flipping ride. May God be with you all. Good morning, my podcast listening friends. Welcome to another episode of the podcast. This authentic, shameless, unapologetic, and raw. This is the hit business podcast, hashtag biz with the beard. This is business as you've never heard before. Dude, we are so going to party. I am your host, the man who has 99 problems, but my beard ain't one. I am the beard, Kerfee Smith. Wow. If he's here, who's running hell? And joining me today is the man who was put on Interpol's most wanted list for building the Amazon of Africa. Actually, it wasn't for building the Amazon. It might have been. We'll, we'll get into that. He is a Polish-born entrepreneur and executive that co-founded Sunroof.se and A2 and won Solaroos Producer, HotelOneOnline.com, 
which is actually a travel technology company, and Jumia Travel, Africa's biggest hotel booking portal, and is listed on the New York Stock Exchange. In 2014, he was chosen to one of the 10 most important people in tech by IT News, Africa Magazine. He is a lead mentor at Google's Launchpad and World Bank's XL Africa program. He is the best-selling author of the book, Chasing Black Unicorns. He's a former snowboard instructor and bartender. Marik Zblaski, welcome to the Hashtag Biz with the Beard podcast. Kerpi, great to be here. Thanks for the introduction. I will hope I hope I will stand up to the <laughs> to the hype you just have given me with that. that good hype, right? <laughs> it's a good one. I'm a yeah. good hype man. I should uh, sell those services, right? Um, <laughs> so I want to make sure I get is it, is it Marik or Marek? Uh, Marek actually is the proper one. But okay, I'll make sure I get anyway. Anyway, you find comfortable. I don't have this type of ego issues that I'm gonna get annoyed that someone doesn't pronounce my name, especially uh, because it's so way. complicated. With a, with a name like Kirby, <laughs> exact same thing, man. No one ever gets it right, so I get it. Yeah. So, well, hey, before we get in the show, I have to make mention that I am a 2020 Real Men Wear Pink campaign ambassador for the American Cancer Society, which means I need your help and my listeners to help. Here's how you can do that. I need all my listeners to go out to our podcast page at anchor.fm bizwithbeard and hit the listener support button. I need you to donate whatever you can, whether it's a dollar, two dollars, ten dollars. I'll take a thousand bucks if you got it. Uh, but whatever you can, hit that listener support button and donate there because this is what I'm doing. I will be donating 100% of my proceeds from the listener support button for the months of September and October to the Real Men Wear Pink campaign and American Cancer Society. Now, if you don't want to do it that way and you just want to donate directly to the American Cancer Society and the Real Men Wear Pink campaign, all you have to do is go to my Real Men Wear Pink campaign page through the American Cancer Society and donate directly to the campaign. The address to donate is main.acsevents.org slash go to slash curfew and curfew spelled C-U-R-P-H-Y. See, I got that problem too, Marek. Um, yeah. <laughs> there, you can donate and help fight this deadly disease. Lastly... You know, and I don't want to leave this out. The hashtag Biz with the Beer podcast is offering some amazing and pretty damn cool merchandise over the next two months that raises awareness for, to fight breast cancer. Uh, this merch includes a very cool black or Heather Gray snap black hats uh, with a pink hashtag Biz with the Beer logo and a pink ribbon on it. We also have some very cool gray T-shirts that say Real Men Wear Pink on the front with a pink ribbon, and on the back of the shirt you have a pink hashtag Biz with the Beer logo. And our motto for uh, this campaign, which is Beards for Boobs, which is a little bit funny. You can see me sporting these cool <laughs> shirts on our Instagram, Facebook pages, as well as LinkedIn and Twitter. These are high-quality material, regular or slim-fitted. We have racer backs for the ladies as well. We are donating 100% of gross profits of these cool items to, this, to the Real Men Wear Pink campaign. And you can get these at our business page at www.acsexec.com under the Merchandise tab. Um, you can also go to our Facebook page or Instagram page and order there as well. So what do you think, Marie? Do I look, do I look good in pink? Why isn't this an awkward moment? I think all real men look good in pink. <laughs> Tops when you have a beard uh, and you're not too ugly. <laughs> <laughs> well, the beard covers the double chins for me. Um, so <laughs> Marie, do you ever wear pink? So you do, wear, you do wear pink, huh? Actually, I have a shirt that is pink uh, in my closet. I don't really wear too many colors. I had this face when I got excited by minimalism. So I just threw up all my shirts and then I started wearing only black t-shirts. But that face has ended as well. So now <laughs> I have a little bit of color sometimes and it's always blue. Uh, and, and there's always one one pink. You know? 
There you go. There you go. I was funny because I was talking on the last podcast when we uh, two podcasts ago when we launched this campaign, and I said, "Man, I've been wearing pink before. Wearing pink was cool. I had a uh, a pink Z Cavarici. I don't know if you remember that. It's way back when. It might be way before your time, but back in my time in the '80s, it was cool. And I had that. I wore one of my senior pictures, and I wore it with a cool stonewashed jean jacket. You know, next sitting next to my Camaro. Total all American boy." Typical, stereotypical 1980s. It was pathetic. This is not a good look for me. But then I kept thinking. <laughs> Shoot us, Camaro, yeah? <laughs> yeah. And then I was thinking, I was like, oh my gosh, I actually wore a pink shirt to my eighth grade graduation. So, man, I'm talking, we're talking early 80s now. So, yeah. So, I've been wearing pink for quite a while. You've been there. Okay. Yeah. You've been the ambassador of this campaign before you even before knew it. was cool, right? Yeah, yeah long <laughs> before it was cool. Hey, well, thanks for coming on today. You ready to get Thank going on this? Yeah, let's do it. All right, I, I'm going to take a little uh, drink here real quick, but let's get going. Let's, let's pop and let's go. Now, you say you were a former bartender and ski constructor, a ski instructor, right? Um, Snowboard, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. So I can see that by looking at your pics and watching the videos. Uh, you know, For our listeners who don't have a picture and can see what Marek looks like, and we're going to, we were going to talk about stereotypes today, but he is a stereotypical bartender and ski instructor you see in the movies, man. He is good. <laughs> he is good looking, strong. He's got the stubble beard, slick back hair like me, that thick foreign accent, man. He is the exact type of guy you're afraid to leave your wife or girlfriend with for, for private instruction, man. You just don't want to do that. Mm, God, he's so romantic. <laughs> uh, you know, the hype, <laughs> the hype is always better than the, than the PR of it. <laughs> well, but seriously, man, tell tell me about those jobs when you did them. Were they were they were they like bill payers for you as you followed your passion until your business yeah. got going? And yeah. and what did working at those jobs or those types of jobs teach you that's still important to you today? Yeah. So the snowboard thing really started when I was a teenager, because I was like a crazy dude for skateboarding. Uh, but, you know, I was early 2000 in Poland. There were no skate parks. You don't have those beautiful pavements as you have in California or New York. Right. Where you can just cruise, cruise the streets of the city. So I guess the snowboard was a solution for us because we have mountains. We have a lot of snow. So I changed my passion into snowboard. We didn't have too much money in my family. I come from a very humble beginning. So my mom was a teacher. Father was a soldier. So we're paid by the government, communist government, you know, mm -hmm. late, late communist, early democracy government. Not too much money, basically. And uh, because I quickly got the snowboarding, thanks to my background in skateboarding, I got myself into this travel agency that would always take me as a as a this this kid that can help other kids to teach snowboarding. Because usually there's a group of 50 kids and everyone wants to ski, but there were always four crazy kids that want to do snowboarding. So at least I was taking care of them. I was also a teenager, but at least I could protect them because I could snowboard better than ever, right, anyone right. else. And that kind of grew. They would take me always for two months every year for my holidays. I would get my free snowboard you know, experience by living in the mountains. As long as I would spend a couple hours on the, on the, on the mountain with the kids. And then once I turned 18, you know, I did all the necessary licenses. And, and I would always make some extra money by doing this. But that was during high school and then my first year of university. Okay. Uh, so no 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 rich wives, no Swiss Alps and, <laughs> and no lessons with a breakfast if you know what I yeah, mean. Yeah, 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 I know what you mean. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but bartending was interesting because uh we're probably gonna get to that. But I I first I dropped out of university. I got into my first business. It was in the it was in the financial sector before the crisis of two thousand and nine. 
So everything hold, was going stop. like crazy. I don't mean to yeah. interrupt you, but I do mean to interrupt you. So you uh you went to you went to school at college, right? You guys used to call it university, and you dropped out. But you were said you were starting a business, or you're working with a business already. Is... Yeah, I was. I was. I wanted to be like Mark Zuckerberg and Steve Jobs or Bill Gates. Meaning, in order to be successful, you have to drop out of your university. Right. One of the most stupidest <laughs> rule right. you've ever heard in life. But people kind of think about it. Uh, exactly. Take some time to realize that it's there were the exceptions, not the not the rule. Um, but yeah, I. Um, my mom was really controlling me because they were afraid of my future. They told me, you're good at mathematics, you're good at physics, you're going to go to this university close to us, I will help you get a, get a job in my school, you will be a physics teacher, your father will help you build your house. There's this cool girl, girl living on the street that really likes you. I think you can you can marry her. So yeah, my mom already designed all my life when I was all 15. laid out. For so you, I, yeah. <laughs> as you can imagine, all I wanted to do is to just get the fuck out of the, uh, the small <laughs> city that I was living in. So I, I moved to a bigger city uh, and I dropped out of university at the first year because I realized that designing robots back then was no future for me. Maybe I would be making a lot of money now, looking at where the world is going into but it was just not cool for me i just hated it right. i wanted to be dealing with money so i dropped out of university and i uh, joined this this business that was basically selling insurance products and investment products uh, just like you know any broker financial brokerage right. would do in poland and uh long story short i joined them as employee number five or seven i don't remember now and in three years because of the economy growth in the world and also in poland there was like three thousand of us Wow. Just in two, two, three years. And then Lehman Brothers came. We thought we're the king of the world. And all the money we were, we were making were, of course, spending on, on cars, crazy right. parties and so on. But then the crisis came and we, we not only lost all our clients' money, we've also lost all our money because I was hedged on different stocks and, mm -hmm. and so on. Um, and in order then to pay my bills and, and basically run away from all the debt collectors, I started working in a bartender, as a bartender in a bar. Uh, and that was the cool thing because I was working in a gay bar. And that was a part of my strategy because my roommate was a gay guy. Not a roommate, not a housemate. Right. We have separate rooms. <laughs> uh, and and I couldn't pay him the, the rent because I had no money. But every time he would come to the bar, I would give him free drinks. And that would kind of balance out my rent that was due to wow. him. <laughs> so that That's was my funny. first life hack. And then... Because you mentioned the, the women aspect, um, well, the most beautiful women, guys, not... <laughs> the most beautiful women they... go to gay bars. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And all the bartenders were straight there. It was like a rule, so the clients wouldn't touch you. You know, we were like these right. cookies that you couldn't touch. But all the beautiful ladies that at 9 p.m. they were like, I don't want to talk to any guy. I just want to have fun in a safe environment. At 3 a.m. in the morning, they're already tipsy, and they kind of feel like, oh, maybe I want to talk to a guy. And obviously, the only available <laughs> right. guy was the bartender. And, and your friend's sitting, the at, straight yeah, your friend's sitting <laughs> at the bar and goes, let me introduce you to my friend, Marek. <laughs> <Right? laughs> that uh, was more or less how it was. So yeah. that, that was really working well. And, and I did that for almost a year uh, until I kind of got back on my feet. A couple of other things happened, which allowed me to pay off my debts and kind of get back on track. But I almost like landed on the street. Uh, and that's how I really went bankrupt from having million for my first million at 23 to having a million of debt. debt yeah. Wow. Wow. Unbelievable. What did you learn in that experience? Oh, man, I learned such a great deal of humility. And I think I needed this because uh, in that job in this finance sector in, in before Lehman Brothers, it was just destroy it, it was destroying your 
perception of value of money and work. Mm-hmm. My first month salary was higher than my month's annual salary as a teacher. So I was like almost 20 back then when I, that first salary hit. I just, I thought I can do anything. And it's too young, too much money, and being too young, too fast, too easy. And then right. when you land from, you know, spending crazy money on, on whatever you want to do, to then being a bartender and serving all those people. It's humbling. Uh, it's absolutely humbling. A very painful, but also humbling. Well, that's one That's one lesson. Someone always asks, what lesson can you give your kids in life? And I said, listen, I don't care how successful you are. Tomorrow morning, it can go away with a snap of the fingers. And you have to be prepared. And so don't get caught up in, you know, all the glitz and the glamour. Understand what you have and how you have it and why you have it. Uh, because it can go so fast, so quickly. And if you're not prepared, um, unlike you, I mean, they only weren't prepared, but you mentally handled it. A lot of people can't. Um, so I yeah. think that's very, you know, it's, it's a great, great story. You do realize how, how easy everything can go away. It doesn't matter how safe you think you feel. And this is a lesson you can't just read about in the book. No. It doesn't matter how many TED Talks you're going to watch. It has to happen to you until you feel it and you realize and you will encode it in your subconsciousness. So you will then always remember, even if you don't consciously remember, deep inside you have that, and that, 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 that memory that will probably help you make smarter decisions in the future, okay. which doesn't always work because I still got myself into even deeper <laughs> shit later. Yeah, yeah. So well, let's, let's talk about the deeper <laughs> shit, right? So you wrote the book, Chasing Black Unicorns, yeah. which talks about how building the Amazon of Africa which anyone in business sounds like an amazing goal and a great feat. However, yeah. it landed you on the Interpol's most wanted list. Now, before we get into the book and your career, take yeah. me to the night. I want to go to the exact night you were arrested in the airport and how with almost, a, like I said this earlier, as a snap of the fingers, your life changed. Did you have yeah. any idea this was coming? And as you were being held, what was going through your head? I had absolutely no idea. So this was... It's almost like in a movie, but it was real. Uh, this was the best day of my life that turned into the worst day of my life. So I found this girlfriend. We were so in love. It was just a couple months of relationships of the best period. I was Christmas. I have met her family for the first time. She met my family for the first time. That day at the airport, she told me she loves me for the first time. So Aww. she was flying to, in her own direction. We were at the airport at the same time. And then I go to, uh, to the immigration because she was flying with a flight that doesn't require to show your passport. But I was getting to a longer, long-haul flight, and I get stopped at the immigration, and I get stopped there for a couple minutes, thinking that, okay, they're just doing some double check, and then right. suddenly there are those two guys coming behind me and telling, oh, you're going to go with us, because apparently uh, you've done something very, very bad in Nigeria, because the arrest warrant says something about 21 years to be spent in jail. So it's in Nigeria, uh, they're saying up to 27 years or yeah. 20 years? 21 years. 21 years. Um, okay. Nigeria, Nigeria has this very strange law that if someone accuses you of stealing certain amount of money, uh, which is like a very specific amount, you go to jail for five years. Of course, if you're convicted and if this is true, but if you like steal one dollar less, one dollar more, uh, allegedly, of course, allegedly, then you don't go to jail for five years. You go to jail for 21 years. Wow. <laughs> so the, the difference is very big. And in that arrest warrant, in a very surprising way, I apparently, allegedly stole exactly that minimal amount exact, that takes exact me to amount, 21 right? years. To, yeah, to yeah, the yeah. Set. 
<laughs> so so what, I mean, you're yeah. sitting there being held in this uh, cell or room, right? What, what was going through your head? I so I spent the whole night there, and uh, there was this mistake which was done by the immigration officers because they were misinformed. Uh, they told me that I'm flying to Nigeria the next night, that I have no chance to defend myself I, in Poland because I was in Poland. I have no chance for a lawyer here. I'm being sent directly to Nigeria, and I will be able to defend myself only there, which obviously mm. will give me no choice of defending myself. Right. And I went through all the four stages of grief during that one night, from absolutely not believing what's happening, like not being able to process it, to right, you're like uh, thinking this has got to be a joke at first, right? This, this is, is a joke. I'm like, what is happening? Like, where's the where's the hidden camera? Yeah, what, what, where's the prank here? <laughs> to uh, oh, to uh, like promising that whoever did this to me, I'm gonna <laughs> kill him with my bare hands. You know that that right. revenge, that rage. To oh my god, this is over. Like this is absolutely over. I want to kill myself now. Like I had a good right, but I fucked up somewhere. Whatever. I don't want to fight anymore. It's depression. Like crying. Right. Lying, couldn't move, and so on. And then, and then you somehow slowly, and this is happening like in a, in the one night, yeah. And then you slowly start to slowly to regain some kind of control over your emotions. In the meantime, I tried to, you know, it was a small cell without windows and and any any door handles and so on. So I was running in circles. I was trying to do uh, breath work, uh, meditation. Uh, I was praying to all the gods I could remember because I was never a religious guy yet, but now I was. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, panic attacks, uh, push-ups. Um, at some point, you realize you're starting to get that control over your emotions. And what really helps is to play over and over again every possible scenario that might happen, from the worst to the best. And getting yourself used to that thought, that even if the worst happens, you're already prepared. you thought this through. You know how you can react. And that's where you regain control. And then in the morning, when I realized, okay, I can't literally think of anything else that I can do now. I've already have all my plan B, plan C, plan D, plan Z in my head. And that's where I got the piece and I fall asleep, fell asleep for like five minutes until they woke me up at 6 a.m. To, <laughs> to take me for my next meeting. Well, I read, I saw somewhere, I was watching you on a video and you said, you know, you came to a point where you said, you know, you went through the whole revenge thing. And then you kind of came to the thing, hey, when, when I get out of this, you basically said, I'm, I'm accepting this and I am going to get out of this. I'm going to share this story. To me, that's just yeah. fascinating. I mean, you're sitting in this room, small room, facing 20 years in a Nigerian prison. And, you're, and you come to the final thought that I'm going to share this story when I get out of this. Is that mindset constantly, that, that mindset of constantly problem solving and never giving up, is that why you're so successful? Is that why you keep overcoming? Yeah, that's true. Uh, that was the biggest motivation that in order for me to be able to share my story in a book, I have to finish that story in a positive way. And uh, then after that night in jail, there was two years of constant legal fighting and a lot of problems and a lot of moments when I thought this is over again. But I think I have this part of personality, which makes me always fight harder, the harder it is. I actually have a problem of my motivation when it's going too well, not right. the other way around. And I was thinking about this. And also, the book was a great psychotherapy just to understand yourself. I think it comes back to when I was a kid, when I was this eight-year-old kid, before I was this, just like you said, you know, typical ski instructor, bartender guy. I was a very bullied kid in school. You're I was bullied? extremely obese. I was bullied and I was extremely obese. Okay. To that extent that 
I, when I was wearing a T-shirt in the summer, I would put a sticky tape on my breast. So oh. you couldn't see my, my big, you know, female type of nipple breast. That's how, you know, my, my cycle was, uh, was, was fixed. And all I cared about back then was to kind of prove to all those bullies uh, that I am worth something. I will show them. I will come back to my hometown and show them that now all girls okay. are mine. They don't laugh at me, that I have money and everything. And that feeling of internal need to get external validation, this is extremely, extremely powerful in business because if you feel that never-ending need you get rewards you get money you get women you get late you get everything but if you let it take control over you it will also destroy you i think this is the thing on many things that it always works both ways what makes you very powerful can also makes you very weak in other things and if if you're not able to control it it will destroy you in the long term but in my case, when that first bankruptcy con came and I had to be a bartender after I was making $100,000 by selling investment. And then when I had this Interpol case with basically my business partner trying to get rid of me by bribing police, we can, we're probably going to talk yeah, about it later. Yeah, we're going to get into that. We, I kind of, you know, allowed that internal bullied kid to kind of take control because he was giving me that force, that control, that, that mm-hmm. motivation. It's a very, very useful thing to have if you know how to handle it. I'm not sure you, but that makes sense. It absolutely makes sense. I When I was a younger kid, because if you look at you now, man, you look at your, I mean, I, I, I'm not hitting on you, but uh, <laughs> I'm not that one. But you're a good looking guy. You know, you're successful. I mean, I mean you are. There's too much male bonding going on in here for me. And I, when I was younger, um, you know, I was bullied. And it was because when I was growing up, up until probably eighth grade, I was, you know, the small kid, the short kid. I had buck teeth because my teeth got knocked out and they grew in just like a beaver. Wow. Um, I had I had glasses and it was just, you know, like when I graduated eighth grade, I mean, I was not even five foot yet. He doesn't understand. He's small. <laughs> and then, wow. yeah, and it was so, and it's tough. And I used to get mad and I used to get pissed. And then yeah. it's funny how things change. And <laughs> as any kid, you grow up, you thin out or you get contacts like I did and uh, you grow eight inches over the summer. And everybody comes back and like, who the hell is that kid? Um, right. And get braces and braces yeah. are off. You're, you know, it's different. Wait till they get a load of me. So it's, Puberty it changes everything. Yeah. yeah. So there's that drive. A different man, yeah? That pisses yeah. me off that keeps me going as that little kid who's trying to prove something. But then it's also, like you said, it also can be a negative effect towards you and your confidence because a lot of the times I don't see who I am today. A lot of times when I look in the mirror, I still see that skinny little kid with braces and buck teeth. And I don't, you know, when someone pays me a compliment, um, I just, I don't know how to take it. It's really odd, yeah. you know. Uh, and I'll get, I'll get, you know, people text me all the time, oh, you know, you're good looking, or someone will say something, hey, you know, you're great. I'm like, okay, yeah, whatever. Um, but yeah. it, 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 like you said, it can work very positively for you, but if you're not careful, you can always slip back into it. I got you. Yeah. And, and, and I guess in order the, the whole point of, you know, being able to be happy internally, externally and, and, be, and becoming mature, like becoming a man in your thirties or even forties is, is about understanding all those forces and all those mm-hmm. programs, which were like embedded into you one from the genes you uh, you got from your parents, and two, that environment that has shaped you in the first, I guess, 12, 15 years of your life. You gotta be aware of those programs which were kind of coded into you. That, for me, that's that's the definition of, of maturity, just kind exactly. of exploring that code, that software that was uh, uploaded to you. Yeah. So, how does a young, good-looking entrepreneur from Europe 
find themselves in Africa. Because if you're like me and many others, Africa has many stereotypes and a lot of bad stereotypes. You know, a lot of scams, yeah. corruption. Um, I mean, you're sitting there talking about Ni- in Nigeria. Okay, let's talk about Nigeria, right? You're talking about that. How many people get scammed over here in America from Ni- people in Nigeria, right? So how yeah. how how does someone like you end up in Nigeria? Yeah, so let me let's quickly go back to the, my times being a bartender trying to pay off my debts. I actually had three jobs back then. I was this bartender in this gay club on the weekends. I was a bartender in a more fancy hotel in the afternoons just for the second shift. And then my old friend came to me and he said, you know, I know about your problems and so on. I'm opening this new company. Uh, it's a it's a fintech startup. Um, I can't pay you too much, but I will pay you something. I'll help you pay off your debts. And also I'll give you some shares. And maybe if the business goes well, you'll make some money on these shares. And I was like, okay, fuck it, let's do this. I, I even for the first time, uh, for the first couple of weeks, I actually slept in his office because I didn't have that, wow. that, uh, that, that rent, uh, that house yet, that flat. And uh, man, a year has passed and you, you were asking me about, you know, my personality and why am I so successful, blah, blah, blah. But most importantly, I'm also pretty damn lucky. <laughs> I didn't and we're going to talk about company. luck because you, that, that's <laughs> yeah. a common theme through this whole thing. And I, it's, you know, I've read that and I've seen that. So I'll, I'll talk, yeah. talk about that. So I wasn't, I wasn't doing too much in this company. I was just like an intern. I was helping him with some basic stuff like fixing some Excel files or talking to some business partners, you know, instead, instead of him. I was like an executive assistant back then. And then he sold this freaking company <laughs> and, and he gave me those shares. And now really? he's still my lifetime friend because he really helped me. And, and the money I made by the, uh, by the share, shares sale, I was able to pay off my debts. And, wow. and that was for me, man, okay, startups, online business, whatever that is, I'm, I'm into it because it saved my life. And it feels like I get this because I'm this millennial generation. I was already raised when the internet was around. For me, internet and technology is like a second skin. I am a natural. So I'm probably going to be, it's going to be easier for me to run businesses here. And, I, and since then, it was all, all startups. So long story short, I've opened another company with him. We had some money from the sales. One failed, but the other one, we sold it and so on and so on. Two years have passed and I've realized I can't build a proper big company. I was already this established entrepreneur. I paid off my debts. Everything was well, but I couldn't build an international business. And remember, I was raised watching MTV, CNN. We had access to satellite TV and so on, not like my parents who were still raised in communist Poland. And I wanted to have a feeling of that international world and, and you know, go right. to Car- Caribbean and and have a party on a yacht and so on, you know, all like those you're doing right cool now, right? things. Aren't you down the, you're down the Dominican, <laughs> right? Chilling out. Uh, actually, my girlfriend is Dominican, yeah. So, uh, well, speaking I'm, real, of I'm really also... pissed off you didn't tell me that. And I could have went down there. We could have done the show down there. I'm stuck here in a I mean, rainy Atlanta, but we'll I don't do, think we'll they do would allow you time. to fly, though. <laughs> yeah, after the COVID, yeah. <laughs> um, you're, you're invited. So, uh, anyway, um, <laughs> I figured that I have to take a step back. I realized that because I dropped out of university, I never got the chance to get the proper theory and also meet the proper people because the biggest value in in finishing a good university is really in your network. I didn't have that. And then how can I learn? How can I run a big international business if I never worked for anyone? Because I went straight to this, you know, sales business in in finance and then we we opened the startup. So I've kind of felt like I have to take a step back to and work for someone to learn and then take two steps forward or three steps forward at once. And and this is where it comes to the whole thing of Amazon. If you're an online entrepreneur in, in the States, 
you probably want to work for Apple or Google or Amazon for a while because it's going to help you with having them in your CV, right? Correct. Uh, with opening uh, another business, raising money and so on. But if you're in Poland, if you're in Europe, then you want to work for Rocket Internet, which is like the the biggest, the most successful uh, online investment fund in a way. They're just launching tons of businesses. They have 40,000 people in, one, in almost 100 countries now. I'm not, I'm not kidding you. Uh, many different businesses in many countries. Uh, and I figured I want to work for them and I want to learn how to launch an international business and grow so fast. And I'm going to work for them for a year and then I will leave and I will become a better manager. That was like my MBA. Right. Because I couldn't do an MBA because I didn't have the the proper uh, you know Bachelor of Science in the first place. Correct. Yeah. And then I, I simply sent an email and I'm like, guys, I have no no background in education, but I had some pretty good background in running startups in Poland. I can bring that in. You're just gonna help me with international one. I can do anywhere anything because I already had that experience before, right? Uh, working for my friend, I did anything, and he thanks to him I made my first money. Um, and they reached out to me and funny enough, that particular time of the year, they were building a team of managers from Europe to be sent to Nigeria back then mm. because they just had some pretty good piece of money that was $500 million to invest for the, in the next 10 years into sub-Saharan African region. So Nigeria, Kenya, and then to the South, South Africa to build something that may be in the future called something like Amazon of Africa because Amazon was busy launching business launching in states and running in states Alibaba was going in China right, there was really yep. nothing nothing in Africa yet so they figured everyone will at some point buy shit online so let us be first and instead of competing with Amazon in the states Alibaba in China let's go to uh, Africa, Africa before anyone else makes sense and uh, there was not much not many people that were you know, crazy enough just to pack your bags, leave Except everything you, right? behind and go that's for what Nigeria. You, I was, you, you mentioned I that earlier, right? I want the MTV life, right? I want to go around. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I, I just broke up with my girlfriend back then. I had no kids. I tasted that startup life and I was like, if not now, when will I ever be able to make such a risk in my life? Absolutely. And even if I make a, even if I make a mistake now, this is not my money anymore. They are, they are investing the money. I'm, mm -hmm. I'm an employee. And again, if I succeed, I'll be able to make some to get some money from the shares they are giving me, not from the salary, really. Right. And uh, what was supposed to be like a year experience, a contract, just to figure it out, turned out to be a, an eight, eight years adventure, and it's still still going. <laughs> but isn't that what being an international man of mystery is all about? Yeah, an adventure it is, right? Uh, so let's talk about how this happened. How does a young aggressive uh, guy like you? Ready to go, get there, get launched this big, you know, company. Uh, yeah. You're part, of, you're, you know, you're part of Jumaya, which is public traded in New York Stock Exchange. How do you yeah. get arrested? <laughs> yeah, so <laughs> How does this happen? Start, uh, another, uh, the life, life writes the best scripts, right? Uh, best screenplays for a movie. Um, long story short, this this whole business with Jumaya Rocket Internet, there were seven managers. We, we were all responsible for different parts of the business. With a little bit of uh, ups and downs, in the end, we were able to do an IPO uh, last year uh, with Jumaya on New York Stock Exchange. Awesome. I left that, that company two years earlier because I already secured my shares. Right. And then I went to investing and opening uh, a new business, which was a hospitality uh, software. And I got, I got a local partner from Nigeria. 
to do this with me because that's what they say. You're opening a business in a foreign ex. Uh, Got to find uh, someone you know, local ex- to support you, right? Exotic country. You want to find someone local because I didn't have this big investment fund behind me anymore. I was on my own, so I wanted to have the protection. <laughs> what no one tells you it's someone your protection can be the bad guy because <laughs> they were like oh what if the government people come after you they will want some you know bribes etc you want to know someone local that is already successful they will know how to deal with those guys <laughs> but sometimes the local guys figure out okay this business is already pretty good it's stable i don't need this foreign guy anymore let me kind of you know convince him to leave if you know what i mean i'm gonna make him an offer again with you <laughs> exactly and what and, better way to do that, it, right? <laughs> God. That's unfortunately that's my story, and 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 uh, and this is the context of Interpol, which I have to kind of explain so this whole story makes sense. Uh, Interpol is like Facebook or YouTube right now. It's a platform that allows all the police organization in the world communicate and share, you know, information about some international criminals. That's a very noble institution, right? Very great goal. You don't want a guy to steal something in one country and then. Just have a normal life somewhere else. You want them to cooperate. But Interpol is now facing the same scale problem like YouTube or Facebook. Anyone can post any any shit, any police station almost, that has access to the internet and access to the system. No one really checks if those arrest warrants are valid. And once it's online, good luck, good luck trying to take it down if it's illegal. Like imagine right. someone just posted something on YouTube with your image, right? They have no right to. Good luck talking to YouTube and telling them to take it down if the other guy doesn't want to take it down. Right. And and that is unfortunately a great loophole for both dictators because you can read about Putin using Interpol to chase his mm-hmm. political opponents all over the world. And also rich business people that know how to bribe police guys. Uh, because all you need to do is to bribe one police guy in one tiny police station in some small city in Nigeria. He goes... Scans this arrest warrant that he just signed, puts it into the system because he has access to internet, and boom, anywhere I go in the world, I will be stopped at the airport and, and my trip being extradited. Unfortunately, wow. this is a loophole. And it's all designed at, at me losing money and time because it can take up to three, four years to take it down because this is how bureaucratic Interpol is. And during that time, I can't go back, I can't travel. I'm losing my money, I'm losing my savings. My reputation is damaged because your name is on a freaking Interpol list right. next to ISIS guys. Um, all your partners are leaving you. It's designed at destroying your wealth for business people. And then he tells me, well, now that you have some Interpol problems, maybe you want to sell me your shares. I'll take over the company <laughs> and uh, I can help like, you. Like he's helping you, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, that's again when this bullet kit came to life. <laughs> that needs to prove everything, I said, oh, no, you're not going to do this like this. Uh, you don't know how stubborn and crazy Polish crazy, people yeah, are. I think yeah. my Polish blood <laughs> also woke up. And I said to myself, doesn't matter how long it's going to take. I didn't know how long it's going to take back then. I didn't know how much it's going to cost right. me because when I count all the lawyer's fees, I think I paid more than he really wanted from me. Uh, but I wanted this out of a principle because I needed to clear my name as well. Exactly. So I had to prove it because if I paid, it's like as if you're agreeing that you really did something wrong, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, So I was like, no. Yeah, so so you're under a house, so you got put under house arrest in Poland, right? And uh, Technically, I could leave leave the police station, but I couldn't leave Poland because they took my passport. But I could choose where I leave, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Country, but but yeah. like, so out of the blue, you said you get a call. I, I was watching this video. I think you're doing a TEDx talk. And uh, you said you get a call from a Nigerian lawyer. I think it was a lawyer or an attorney. 
uh, saying or sound or acting like an attorney, saying he can make it all go away. <laughs> Just tell, yeah. tell me, tell me about that call and what happened when he said we can make it go all go away. Because this, this is, I thought this was really funny. I mean, it's not funny at the time. It probably really pissed you off, but I just yeah. thought it was hilarious. So that's what I realized. Everything that's that's been happening, and uh, as you can imagine, I already had some conflicts with my business partner, but they were very civilized conflicts. Like I wanted to take this company left, he wanted to take the company right. Very civilized, typical conflict in between you know the management board, right? Uh, yeah, happens and all the time. And he then happens all the time. He decided to kind of escalate this by <laughs> by making something criminal, which is choosing. Okay, I'm just gonna you know I'm just gonna take this company over, and I'm gonna use my old trick because then I realized. Once I did my due diligence, uh, some people started to come out saying that the same thing happened to them. But anyway, uh-huh. I, I leave the police station. I turn on my po- I turn on my uh, phone. Uh, you know, some missed calls are, are popping up as a notification, and and the person that tried to call me now gets a notification that my phone is online again. You know? So first fo- phone call from Nigeria. Who is it? Of course, the lawyer of that business partner of mine. I knew that lawyer. <laughs> yeah, we heard about your problems and so on. Listen. The whole situation in the company wasn't working for us. Um, let's just make a deal. Uh, this guy, I don't want to mention his name uh, for legal yeah, reasons, right, yeah. uh, is willing to now uh, buy the shares from you. And then he can also help you with this whole Interpol problem. Yeah. And and then I was like, oh, you motherfuckers. Right. <laughs> and, and and I was like, obviously, I said, let me let me get back to you. I need to talk How to much? my lawyers. I'm not going to tell you anything. How it much? wasn't a lot. Because this guy invested $150,000 in the company. He was the smallest investor. I've I've invested almost a million. But then he wanted me to uh, give him the company and he would pay me $150,000. So as much as he invested in the company. Wow. Exact amount, huh? Funny. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) for for his shares, yeah? Yeah. yeah. And, and, And from then on... Uh, I don't want to give out too much from the from the book. I had numerous no, meetings no. and another phone calls from with those lawyers and those people to kind of pretend that I'm delaying. I'm I'm very scared. I'm trying to raise the money to pay them and so on. Uh, and uh, and all the phone calls were recorded and they admitted that they bribed this guy and uh. that guy and they told me what they're gonna do if I pay the money. How soon this call is gonna disappear? And that was really the the, the proof in the court later that because they essentially you know they framed themselves. By feeling too comfortable, uh, typical, you know, Hollywood movie. Because I was really going to those phone calls with, uh, with, with uh, this whole software that records it. I even had one meeting face to face with with a microphone <laughs> below my shirt. Man, it was crazy. That is um, hilarious. It's not funny. I mean, it's funny calls. to sit there and think about now it. In that funny. situation, you're now probably like, funny. "Holy, this yeah. stuff really happens." <laughs> They're putting duct tape uh, across my chest. Oh, uh, yeah. So, so, that's, so that's how you got. So that's how you got out of it, huh? You, you, I mean, you, yeah. you, you went covert and you got out of it, huh? So, uh, again, this would be a story for another hour, but just to give you a summary, essentially, I had to have three lawyers and I had to have three court cases. One court case was that I was the craziest guy ever. Actually, my Nigerian lawyer is the craziest guy ever. We took Nigerian police to Nigerian federal court and we accused them of illegal arrest warrant. No one has ever done this in Nigeria yet. And I won this in the federal court, in the highest instance court. and I'm the first foreigner, and hopefully the last in the history of Nigeria, that took Nigerian police to court for illegal actions against him, and I won. Um, then we took this uh, court order that we won to France, because a headquarters of Interpol is in France. Uh, we had a lawyer actually from Miami, because there's not too many lawyers in the world focused on this Interpol abuse. 
a very good lawyer, extremely expensive, uh, but worth it. And we were able to uh, get Interpol to ap- apologize and admit the mistake that this arrest warrant should never be in their database. And then we had to win in Polish court because Nigerian police wanted to extradite me. We had to win in front of Polish court that there will be no extradition because um, obviously the arrest warrant was already proven to be legal yeah? because that was the last right, court, right, uh, right. court we won. So it all took two years, a lot of money and a lot of nerves, but at least uh, some good things came out of this, like book, like a foundation and then other cool stuff. And me being also <laughs> stronger and maybe even more uh, risk averse than ever. <laughs> right. Well, so you just touched on that. The book, you know, which I mentioned earlier, you just mentioned again, is Chasing Black Unicorns. Now, all the revenue to that is going to a foundation. Talk to me about this foundation and uh, the name of it and what it does. Yeah, so the story here is that um, I didn't want to now be accused of, you know, just making money out of telling bad stuff about Nigeria. Because really, when you read my book, you realize that mm-hmm. it's 99% cool stuff about things that happened to me in Nigeria. 1% is the very extreme one. It catches your attention. But then I'm telling you, listen, the risk reward is still great. There are bad things happening in Nigeria. But in the end, I love this country. So I want to make sure that everyone understands that my goal is not to bash Nigeria or scare people from Nigeria. It's the opposite. But because of what happened to me, what I went through, I have the legitimacy to, to, to talk in a reliable way. Yeah? And, and I didn't want to be accused of making money out of my story. So I was like, let me just put all the money from the book into a charity uh, to make a statement. Um, and then I started, you know, doing a research about charities in Nigeria, charities in Africa. And then you realize how screwed, how fucked up, forgive you my French, uh, <laughs> the, the whole concept of charities as a, almost organizations run like a corporation which have forgotten a long time ago what were they really designed for in right. terms of how much money they were wasting and so on and so on. I was like, I'm not giving money to those guys. Well, that's I'm a lot have... of charities, though. Not just in Nigeria, man. That's a, I would even say there's a lot in America that are the same way. They've lost their way and what, what, where the money's going, how it's wasted. But yeah. Once but... you become so big, you become detached from the goal, I guess. Mm-hmm. I, I really believe that big is, a, is, an, is an opponent of efficient in this particular thing. It's better if we have more charities that are smaller, that are run with passion by the people that really started it and so on. And I was like, I'm going to have a super small charity because it's only going to be my money from the book, maybe some personal money, maybe some money from my friends that somehow I, you know, uh, inspire to, to support. But at least I'll be able to control this and give that money directly to the people I know, I find. And at least I know what's happening. Right. And that's how I kind of figured out, let's do our own foundation. It's called Maya Foundation. And uh, if anyone Maya, is interested, is how are we doing this? M-I-Y-A. M-I-Y-A. Y-A. Now, where's that name come from? Marek, two first letters of my my name, and then Jerica, Y-N-A, two first letters of my girlfriend's name. So it's Maya. Uh, so you found this with your girlfriend, huh? Yeah, we did. Actually, she, she made me mm, to focus on, uh, on, on, on girls in this foundation in Nigeria because she said, if you're supporting girls, you're fixing three problems at once. Educated girls, empowered girls will make sure that their kids are also educated and empowered. Because if you're educated, you pay attention to education, you'll make sure your kids are also educated. Then when you put more women into business, apparently companies perform better and it's better to have more women in business. So that's the second uh, advantage if you educate and empower women into business. And third thing is that in, in especially poor countries and poor regions, 
there's a big problem with overpopulation and and women have way too many kids just because they assume that half of them will die by the time they're 15. So if you want to have three kids to support you when you're old, you want to make a birth to 10 kids. That's kind of crazy and sad, yeah? Right, yeah, that's um, very sad. But, but educated women, uh, will, they will make sure not to have too many kids. They will make sure to use condoms and so on. Because if you're poor, having 10 kids will make you even poorer. Poor, you don't want right, to have yep. too many kids if you want to also build career, build some wealth. Yeah. Jesus, I know, dude. I got five kids. I'm never going to get out of this. So. <laughs> <laughs> you have five kids. Okay. Yeah, well, you're yeah. better off. You're, you're not living in a... You in think a so? I love all five of them. They're great kids. <laughs> uh, so tell me, is this the same girlfriend that you found, uh, that you found at this foundation with that that you were, were you, yeah. yeah you were arrested that same night is that the same one yes yeah ah, so you, she, there's been... actually a chapter about her in the book we've been together and uh, i'm telling you man if it wasn't for her i don't know if i if i would be strong enough because she moved from dominican republic to poland to be with me throughout those you know tough two years she was an extreme support for me moral uh and uh yeah man if it she wasn't never for left the your side your life, the whole experience that is awesome man yeah yeah that's fantastic. Awesome. Well, I've heard you speak, and we talked about it a little bit earlier, and you mentioned the term luck quite often. Now, a lot of entrepreneurs and business moguls do not like that word, but yet you embrace it. Tell me why, what luck means to you. I mean, if you're, if you're lucky, there are two types of people who are lucky. I think you were lucky once in, in life, like extreme huge luck, like winning a lottery type of luck, and then you're kind of you're able to set up your life. Uh, and then the other person, I think, is the one that manages statistics, manages probability. And if you live your life in a proper way in business, you kind of expose yourself to different type of opportunities. If you're able to take advantage of the good ones, and if you're able to spot the bad ones and get out of them pretty fast, you, in the end, are called being lucky. Um, yeah. I guess I, I don't play poker, I don't play casino, but I guess apparently the best poker players are not the lucky guys, but the ones that know how to manage risks and, and read other guys. Mm -hmm. And I guess being lucky means being able to read what happens to you and choose the right situations and go for them and try to stay out of the bad situations. But in both cases, you need to read the outside world. Right. And for me, on one side, I was extremely lucky in couple situations where I can't attribute it to myself like the fact that i was stopped in poland which allowed me to be in a, in like you said house arrest in poland was extremely important for me because i was able to visit my family and then right. have polish lawyers and so on but three days earlier i was in a different country i was in spain so no. if that arrest warrant from nigeria landed in the system three days ago i would be stopped in spain and that would change everything so there are moments when you can't attribute it to yourself and you're just freaking extremely lucky that this happened to you. Yeah. Uh, and, and that's how I see that you're just either lucky or not. And then you have the luck in business, which is kind of more attributed to spotting opportunities, being able to go for them and also staying out of the bad ones. And right. you see that you, you, people call you lucky just because they don't see what's, what's how you know, what yeah, has happened earlier. Yeah. Yeah. So like, okay, so you're arrested for false accusations and your financial resources cut off. Lucky you were in Poland, but you can't leave Poland for one year. That piss off a lot of yeah. people, anger them to the point where they just don't trust anymore. Like we talked about earlier, revenge. 
however, not you. And I'm gonna we're gonna kind of end the show uh, around this. You take the approach of thanking your enemies. I mean, what the hell are you talking about? <laughs> Surely you can't be serious. I am serious, and don't call me Shirley. Thanking your enemies. Tell yeah. me about that. Tell, tell, yeah. I did a lot of soul searching during the whole process. Um, you know, I've also turned 30. I wrote this book. The whole process of writing a book was a great psychotherapy for me because I had to kind of pull out shit that happened to me when I was a kid and then pull out shit that happened to me when I was five years ago and try to understand how did I make that stupid thing in my life? And then you kind of realize what's happening to you. And, and I started going to the psychotherapy because I was also facing with depression with, with you know, the, during that whole fight and so on. I did ayahuasca uh, ceremony, which was also amazing for me. I really tried to do many unusual things. I had some problems with alcohol at some point with that depression. So I was trying to try, I was trying to fix myself, both the scientific way. So I'm talking about proper psychotherapy, mm -hmm. psychologist, but also the spiritual way. So, you know, a healer and meditation, ayahuasca and so on. And then at some point you just realize, okay, you got to control your ego. You can't control everything that happens to you. You can control your reaction. This shit has already happened to me. How long, how far will I still able allow myself to be eaten alive by this need of revenge? Because I've done this. I won the case, but I haven't done the revenge, if you know what I mean. I haven't right. seen those guys in jail. And it was like, it was really consuming me. And all I could do every day, I remember for after even the court case I won and the book came out, I was like, I was still going to social media and trying to write shit and making everyone hear about the story. It was still revenge. It was still not, mm -hmm. not closed for me. And I, and I had to let it go at some point. And for me, let it go was to realizing that what happened to me has made me stronger, more peaceful. And I have to thank them for that experience because that's the only way to go forward. Otherwise, I will be consumed by revenge. And revenge, I think, just like that feeling of external validation, never is satisfied. Oh, great. Great advice, man. The book is called Chasing Black Unicorns, How Building the Amazon of Africa Put Me on Interpol's Most Wanted List. The man is Marek Zablowski. Marek, it has been an extreme honor, and I truly appreciate you coming on the show. We do. We have to stay in touch. Maybe we can collaborate on something. Uh, next time, we'll do the show in the Dominican Republic. <laughs> now that I know that you're down there a lot. I'm invited. As soon as you guys can fly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, hey, before we go, I have to play a game with you. And I don't know if you've listened yeah. to the show before. You probably have. I mean, I think you have listened to the show because you told me that. Yeah. And I apologize for not warning you in advance. However, you know, one, I'm going to ask you quick. So where do you – do you consider yourself from, you know, Africa now or still Poland or – Oh, that's a very tough question because before COVID, I was I had all my business in Africa. I was based in South Africa, but we moved with our girlfriend to Spain. So I was really like two weeks here, two weeks there. Yeah. But then COVID happened, and I don't think we'll be able to travel that freely for a long time. Uh, so we kind of moved to Dominican Republic right now because it's just easier to deal with right. the lockdown. Uh, but your, bu but your business is still in Africa, right? A lot of your business, right? My, 100%. The, okay. The, the, the marketing one, the, the, so I, the solar I can, one, a little bit of Europe, yeah. So I can claim now that we've got, because I've been trying to get on every continent with all our guests, <laughs> and so now I'm gonna make, I'm gonna go and make that claim. We have our first African uh, guest yeah. on the show, so I'm gonna make that claim. That's good. All right. So Go with that, so we do know that about you know, and now we got that out of the way. Um, I do want to play a game of get to know Marek a little bit more personally. Are, are you up for this? Let's do this. Hot damn, son! I believe you did tell your soul the devil. All right, so we're going to ask you 10 questions rapidly, and you have to mm -hmm. answer as fast as you can, okay? 
Mm-hmm. Okay. All right, you ready? I'm afraid, but okay. Now you should be afraid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's go for it. What is the weirdest thing you've ever seen in someone's house? Oh, you have this like uh, this thing that hangs from the uh, from the ceiling that you used to have sex. You know, that uh. kind of. Uh... <laughs> Really? I was like, "Why, bro? Why in the living room? Just hide it in your room." It was in the living room, not. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, gnarly! Oh, Uh, is your your girlfriend around? Because I'm gonna ask this next question: Who's your celebrity crush? Uh, There's this uh, actress that uh, she was in the movie uh, Avatar. Uh, Zoe Saldana. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. She knows that. Funny thing, she's also Dominican. I guess, but so, (laughs) but that was like before I met you. Be careful. If you could have one superpower, what would it be and why? Oh, reading people's mind. Nice, that's a good one. I like that one. Have you ever cried in a movie? And what was the movie? Oh yeah, Lion King. Every time. (laughs) Really? You're the man. Oh yeah, that's a good one. (laughs) If you were a fighter or a boxer. What would be your theme song if you walked out to? Oh, of course, the Rocky song. Uh, the, the, I the tiger? Gonna, gonna fly now. Gonna fly now. Oh, going to fly. That one. Okay, that's a good one. Hey, I'm going to ask you. Do you have a nickname, and what is it and why? Uh, I actually don't. Right, everyone so calls if, me Marek. Yeah, right, I don't so know if why. you don't, what, would you, what, would you, what nickname would you want? Because everyone has one. What, what nickname would you want? Uh, that's a good one. I don't know. I, I like... I like I like an animal, maybe a, a you dog. I don't mind being called a dog. A dog? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I get that all on Kirk dog. Yeah. Uh, what's your biggest pet peeve? What's a pet peeve? Yeah. What's a pet peeve? Uh, something yeah. that just drives you nuts every time you see it. It just it, it just drives you nuts. Uh, lines. I just hate to wait in a line in a queue. <laughs> I would just want to shoot all those people just to let me get in. I don't hate to waste time. Now, you shouldn't say Someone shoot people because is... you were on the Interpol's most wanted list, right? They're going to see you waiting in yeah. an airport line. That's not playing. <laughs> that, that's not a joke you want to throw at the airport. <laughs> right. you know? What is something you're really bad at? Oh, I am extremely bad at attention to detail. Like, uh, this is why I'm so bad at cleaning the house or, or washing, doing the dishes because it's about, you know, not leaving that any tiny spot of something. And yeah. I just. I, I'm a generalist, so don't ever use me to clean shit. <laughs> Who is your favorite athlete and why? My favorite athlete, I, know, I think Michael Jordan. Because uh, I was always like following him when I was a kid. And then lately you have shown this Netflix. Uh, yeah. I was like, okay, uh, after Netflix, I just bought like 10 pairs of Jordan shoes <laughs> and shirts. Because I'm like, I'm, I'm really going for that brand. Yeah. Uh, last. Uh, so, yeah. Good one. He's, he's probably one of my top. He's my top two. Um, last question. Favorite podcast? Joe Rogan. Sorry, man. But you're, you're, you're high there. But Joe Rogan, uh, every time. Give it! Go! I... What the hell with it? I do it. All right. <laughs> <laughs> no, I appreciate it. Marek, this has been an extremely fun and intriguing show. I appreciate you sharing your most interesting story and theories in business and life. I truly appreciate your time and thrilled that you decided to come on the show today. Um, if you're ever in the States, specifically Atlanta, I'd love to meet up with you and talk some more. However, you know, I'm, I'm going to try to get the next show down there in the Dominican. So I, I really appreciate you coming on, bud. We should do this again. I think it was very constructive. It was a great pleasure, man. I don't even know when the time has passed, which is a great indication of a good 
call call talk yeah we're almost an hour into this so that's exactly where i wanted it so before i sign off is there anything else you wanted to plug you know talk about the book where people can get it yeah so if anyone's interested in anything about my life and the book and the foundation the the best website to go is chasingblackunicorns.com which is easy to remember chasingblackunicorns.com and you have all my social media handles information about the book my ted talks links to amazon everything's there foundations there and everything foundation as well yeah cool cool awesome awesome well, as mentioned at the beginning of the show, I, the beard, Kirby Smith, am a real men wear pink 2020 ambassador, and I'm raising funds, uh, 5000 to be exact, for breast cancer. So we've just started. So I need that money fast, and I want to hit my goal for the first week of October. So hashtag biz with the beard. Listeners, I need you right now to do a few things. Go to our podcast page at anchor.fm biz with beard and hit listener support. I'll donate 100% of those proceeds. Uh, to the Real Men Wear Pink campaign through the American Cancer Society. And if you want to dire- donate directly to the ca- campaign or through ACS, uh, go to their page at main.acsevents.org slash go to curfew. Uh, and that's spelled C-U-R-P-H-Y. And there you can donate and help fight this deadly disease. Or if you want to buy some cool merch, go out to my website at www.acsexec.com. And 100% of those profits will go to... The American Cancer Society as well. So, Marek, any final thoughts or parting words of wisdom? I'm donating right now. I'm going to your site. So, you guys listening, do the same. <laughs> Thank you, man. I really, really, really appreciate you your, your donation. And so does the American Cancer Society. Thank you. I didn't expect that out of you. Uh, but again, thank you again for coming on to hashtag biz with the beer podcast. Much love, success, and positive vibes to you, and a lot of luck. Right? I like that. Uh, and oh, love yeah. in your life, man. I want to remind everyone to subscribe to the show at anchor.fm slash bizwithbeard. Then share it with your friends on all your social media pages. Don't forget while you're on Anchor subscribing. If you want to help feature your show by sponsoring, uh, hit listener support. This month, again, we're donating those proceeds to American Cancer Society. You can also contact me directly at curfew at acsexec.com. As always, I'm grateful for all of our listeners who tune in on all the amazing podcast platforms out there, such as Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Pandora, and many, many more. And that's a wrap. Another show's in the books, but never fear. The beard will always be here. Until next time, same beard time, same beard channels. Thank you for listening to Hashtag Biz with the Beard. Remember, every genius idea starts with a stroke of a beard. Must be a service in town and shut the shit down on these clowns And I get a witness, hell yeah Hey, hashtag biz with beard and bald fans. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. It was brought to you by ACS Executives. Let me ask you something. As an entrepreneur or business owner, are you tired of struggling with running your business? Do you feel you can drive more revenue, improve your profits, and run more efficiently if you had a little help? Well, you are not alone, and there is a solution for you. Like many small businesses, as the owner, you wear a lot of hats. And why wouldn't you? You started this thing, so you're very careful and particular about it. Well, at ACX Executives, we do a deep dive into your business to help your business grow revenues, improve profits, acquire capital, and run more efficiently. We just don't point out problems. We help you resolve them through our family of companies and the solutions they provide. We share some of the best practices and processes and coach you and your team through them. Our suite of quality products and services will help you get there quickly and smoothly. That's 
how we ensure your success. So visit us at acsexec.com or call us at 1-800-495-6505 and schedule a free 30-minute consulting assessment. Have a successful day, and we hope you enjoy today's episode of Hashtag Biz with Beard and Bald.